You're listening to From the Front Lines, a special podcast from WUFT during the COVID-19 pandemic. This podcast provides daily updates on Florida's response to coronavirus with a particular focus on North Central Florida. In addition to news and important information, From the Front Lines will feature a member of the community who is working to keep the community safe or running during these challenging times. I'm your host, Ryan Vasquez, and this is From the Front Lines. Here are the most recent COVID-19 numbers from around the state. There are now 195 positive cases of COVID-19 in Alachua County, according to the latest numbers from the State Department of Health. No deaths have been reported, and 25 people have been hospitalized at some point as a result of the virus. Positive case numbers in the north-central Florida region include 168 in Clay County, 104 in Marion County, and 75 in Citrus County. Statewide, there are 21,628 positive cases of the coronavirus and a reported 571 deaths. Alachua County Commissioners today saw no need to make any changes for now in the county's emergency order on coronavirus. County Health Department Administrator Paul Myers told commissioners the number of hospitalizations for COVID-19 locally remain low. But he said his department is concerned about what's going on in surrounding areas, especially places like the villages, which has a much older and therefore much more susceptible population. If the villages starts to see a significant uptick in cases, then that's going to put a strain on our system. Meyer said the latest numbers show Alachua County ranked 17th in the number of confirmed COVID cases in the state. Gainesville Regional Airport is slated to get $3.1 million in federal aid in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. U.S. Secretary of Transportation Elaine Chow announced the U.S. Department of Transportation's Federal Aviation Administration will award $896 million in airport aid. The money will be distributed to 100 airports in Florida to help respond to the COVID-19 public health emergency. More than half of the aid will go to three of the state's largest and busiest airports, Miami International, Orlando International, and Fort Lauderdale Hollywood International. When the U.S. Small Business Administration opened up its paycheck protection, only certain banks could accept applications. That's because they needed to be an approved SBA lender. Now, CEO and President of the Florida Bankers Association Alex Sanchez says nearly all banks in Florida are approved. He's urging small businesses to sign up as soon as they can. If you are eligible to apply for a small business uh, administration PPP loan, please do so today. Don't wait. Do it now. The Paycheck Protection Program, often abbreviated to PPP, is meant to give money to business owners so they can pay their employees instead of laying them off. Attorney General Ashley Moody announced 65 subpoenas have been issued in investigations into price gouging on high-demand items amid the COVID-19 pandemic. No details were available about the locations of the investigations. Moody says the information was largely based on hundreds of tips provided by consumers. Her office has contacted merchants about allegations of price gouging and gotten online platforms to deactivate more than 160 posts offering items at inflated prices. In most cases, people and businesses are working with our offices and trying to remedy the situation. But as you know, we've already issued numerous subpoenas. We will continue to do so so that we can further our investigations. Items covered by Florida's price gouging law under the state of emergency include protective masks, sanitizing and disinfecting supplies, commercial cleaning supplies, personal protective equipment, and COVID-19 test kits. The Florida Department of Children and Families announced the state will pilot a program for supplemental nutrition assistance program recipients to purchase groceries online with the use of an EBT card. SNAP participants are automatically eligible to participate in this program and do not need to apply. Walmart will initially launch a pilot at all five Tallahassee locations on April 16th. On April 21st, both Walmart and Amazon online purchasing will be available statewide. DCF will continue to coordinate with the USDA and the Florida Retail Federation to expand the network of retailers participating in the pilot program. 
the fast spread of the COVID-19 pandemic has been met with a shortage of medical supplies. Items like hand sanitizer, disinfecting wipes, and medical-grade masks are in short supply, even for those who need it most on the front lines. WUFT's Daniela Mora spoke with Thomas Reed, CEO of Altavian, a company that manufactures drones, on how they made an important shift to combat supply shortages. If we could just start off with you telling me a little bit about what you all do at Altavian and what you all are doing to help out with the pandemic response. Right. So um, Altavian was founded uh, nine years ago, uh, roughly, and we started um, by making a uh, drone that was specialized in uh, doing geospatial surveys and mapping uh, for the Army Corps of Engineers. Um, and we kind of, uh, we, our primary focus was to develop a fully integrated system um, that provided an end user product uh, to the customer. Um, and out of that, you know, uh, kind of uh, got over the years more and more involved with uh, defense contracting work uh, from providing them uh, secondary sources for components uh, for their SUAS fleet uh, to full system integration, um, you know, for uh, platforms that the, um, that a soldier uses on the front line for uh, ISR video surveillance. Um, and so kind of over the years, um, in, internally, you know, we have a team of mechanical, electrical, and software engineers um, that work pretty tightly together. Um, to support, you know, our kind of our entire vertically integrated uh, platform development process. And as part of that, you know, we have a production house that produces these things, we have a machine shop, um, and kind of all these different um, capabilities for doing uh, various manufacturing techniques ranging from injection molding to composites manufacturing. And so um, this kind of all started a few weeks ago with one of our engineers and his wife, who's a doctor, coming to us to say, hey, uh, they brought us a uh, 3D printed model uh, of a mask and they were, they wanted to see if we could, you know, mock one up um, and then utilize uh, the filter material that Dr. Bruce Spees at UF um, had, uh, had come across as a potential replacement for N95 filter material. And we were like, yeah, sure. And so uh, one thing led to another and in working with the local hospital group, um, you know, we started getting kind of iterative de design changes relatively quickly from them uh, in terms of improvements and changes that they would like to have and, uh, and then got heavily involved with the group at UF um, kind of making the same effort. And we were, we were, you know, identified as the lead contributor for this project. Um, and the, I would say roughly over a week and a half time span, we kind of uh, fell upon a, you know, a, a final design uh, that we can now scale and uh, release, you know, out into the medical professionals in the field. And what goes into that transition? Was it a, a difficult transition to go from the work that you all do normally, which is largely uh, about drones to manufacturing masks? Was there a, an adjustment that you had to make? Um, you know, it's kind of twofold, right? You have the, you have the engineering design side and then you have the production side. Uh, and they're loosely coupled, um, you know, based off of the capabilities that are available to you and then also um, sourcing. So I would say that initially, um, you know, there's always the, 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 the basic factors that you have to consider, which is, you know, hey, it's got to pass this uh, a fit test, you know, that they have to go through. Or what, I didn't know what that was a couple of weeks ago, um, you know, and a couple other, you know, personal preferences in terms of how it should be, you know, how they put the mask on. Uh, I didn't realize how standard that was. 
and then ultimately kind of turned into, you know, so what, you know, with all the other supply shortages that are currently existing, you know, in the global market, uh, what do the hospitals have on hand that we can, uh, you know, integrate into the design to make this thing very easy for the hospital to support and not necessarily be so dependent upon a third party vendor to supply them with. Um, you know, that's why the high, high, high load material is so important. You know, the straps that we utilize all are kind of based around aspects that are readily available components at any medical facility. Um, and then ultimately kind of that transitioned into, you know, in terms of volume from the production side is, um, you know, it's just kind of going through the normal, normal rigmarole of going to an injection molded solution and, you know, what that takes to actually get there. Um, and, you know, you can kind of scale from 100 per day to going thousands and thousands per day with that kind of production process. And how many masks have you all manufactured so far and where are they going? Um, so we have uh, shipped to date roughly uh, 400 masks um, and uh, they are going kind of all over the place. Um, uh, we've shipped some up to Massachusetts, I believe. Um, we've shipped some to Texas. Uh, we've shipped a number to the local community here, um, you know, nursing homes and other, uh, other institutions like that that were in a high need and simply didn't have anything available to them. Um, uh, that's kind of what our primary focus has been thus far. And how long are you all prepared to keep on doing this? Uh, so that's a good, that's a great question. Um, you know, we have a, we have a limited um, uh, uh, production staff, um, you know, for the type of work that we do. We got to keep, you know, um, focused on the, you know, the normal operations, I would say. Um, I think the, I think our focus will be is um, on refining the, the sourcing of the materials to where it decreases the workload. So we're committed to this long-term, you know, as long as there's a need there um, and that the nonprofit that's been set up is uh, able to fund the uh, materials, right? Uh, the manpower to do the operation will be there. And so that's where our focus has been is decreasing the manpower as much as possible. So you can, you know, with the resources we do have available, um, you know, we can, uh, you know, we can easily meet the demand of you know, tens of thousands per day. That's all I had. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Uh, the only thing, uh, you know, I'd like to add is, uh, you know, we just, we're kind of, uh, very thankful to the medical professionals out there um, and that, uh, you know, if anybody out there is interested in donating to the nonprofit, you know, the website is maskrally.org and, um, you know, our objective is $50,000 and, um, you know, anything, anything will help uh, towards this cause. From the Front Lines is a production of the Innovation News Center at the College of Journalism and Communications at the University of Florida. Thank you to our producers, Taylor Levesque, Daniela Mora, Anthony Montalto, Josh Williams, Melissa Fato, and Cameron Lund. Also, thanks to our fellow Florida public media stations for their contributions to this podcast. And a special thank you to Matt Abramson and Craig Lee for their work behind the scenes. We'd love to hear from you, so if you have a story to share with from the front lines, please send an email to news at wuft.org. That's news at wuft.org. Join us tomorrow for another edition of From the Front Lines. I'm your host, Ryan Vasquez, and of course, thanks for listening.